Are you tired of the same routine of studying the Bible? We both agree, and it's time for a change. Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and this is my co-host, Josh. The Bible. You know of it. We know of it. But how deeply do we all understand it? Uh, Hopefully a lot better after this. Hope so. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit of, um, you know, housekeeping. We wanted to welcome all of our new followers on Facebook. Um, We we reached 1,002 for couple of days mm-hmm. and then i think a, a couple of the um like random not actually legitimate accounts were uh gone deleted <laughs> whatever so we're we're at 999 but like it at disney world there's room for one more <laughs> always room for one more. <laughs> so thank you guys for the support it's been fantastic um you know people are starting to like uh they're starting to um do the whole uh uh, share thing also, which is incredible to see the content that we're putting out here, you know, with, um, you know, the, the, the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, God's word. It, it means a lot to us that people are out there and, and are listening, especially on podcast form. You know, there's only two episodes and we've got, you know, this isn't going to sound like a lot, but there's, you know, 30 listens. That's, that's not bad for two episodes. Not bad at all. No. So, um, anyway, that, that was kind of the, the, uh, the initial housekeeping that I wanted to hit. Um, well, talk about those podcasts a little more. Where, where can people find the podcasts? Everywhere a podcast can be found, except at Walmart. Mm. Um, there's like Google Play Store, I think it's, uh, it's called for, for those of you that, that prefer Android. Um, so Apple Podcasts too? Uh, the Superior, Apple Podcasts. I didn't say Superior, but Apple Podcasts. That was for Phil, yes. Yeah, um, you can get it over at... Uh, Spotify? Spotify, yep. You can do Spotify. iHeartRadio? Um, yes, iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. He's just going to keep naming them because I'm that, drawing a blank. Those are the ones I can remember now, but yes. Yeah. So basically anywhere you you get your podcast, you can find it now. Right. So if you don't have time to listen or, or if watching on, on Facebook is just not your thing, uh, or if you like me, you like listening to podcasts as you drive around... Well, wherever you get your podcast, look for Random Acts of Study, uh, follow, like it, and uh, give it a listen. Yeah, we're, uh, like we said, we're welcome to have you. And uh, one other little piece of housekeeping that we noticed ourselves, but it's not something that's been brought up to us. This is super important. Anytime that we study God's Word, we need to pray. We need to pray before, and we need to pray after. We need to pray before so we can ask God to be with us in his word, that we understand it, that we interpret it properly, that we're, we're listening to what the message is within its context. And that way we can apply it to our everyday lives the way that we need to. And then we can go out and witness the way that we need to witness and uh, grow in our sanctification. Um, you know, so that's something that we have kind of dropped the ball on, on, on the past, you know, a few episodes. We started off with prayer at the beginning. So, you know, it, it, uh, in the text, you know, it's important to remember that uh, openly praying, uh, publicly praying, um, just so you can be heard, because that's something that we talked about pre-show, is is not good. It's very bad. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, it brings the attention to you, not to God. And so we're going to essentially lead ourselves and you in prayer prior to every biblical reading that we do, you know, at the start of these uh, podcasts or shows, mm-hmm. and it's going to be quick. 
but it's just something that will get us all into um, the right frame of mind, the right mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's something even in your personal lives, you know, you need, you need to try to do. We don't always do it, but we try our best to. And we're going to do better for you guys. We're going to do better for, for us and God. Um, so, um, Josh, would you lead us in a, a quick sure. old prayer? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we th- thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your word that you've given us. And, Father, as we open that word, Father, I just pray you open our hearts and our minds. May we learn more about you, Father. May we grow closer in a relationship with you as we study your word, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So last we left off, we had pulled the Beatitudes. Um, technically, the Sermon on the Plain. We're talking about Luke's account, uh, chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. Now, no, 36. I didn't stop at 26. 36, thank you. Yes. You wanted me to stop earlier, I but mentally. I just kept going. Sorry, sorry. I was waiting until I got the black letters again. <laughs> I knew for a fact that I was going to mess it up. Um, but um, actually, It's not like it's written right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that are watching the video, <sighs> I'm staring at the screen, mm-hmm. and I see it. He's right. Yes. Whatever. Um, anyway... Um, so really we just, we need to get into the text, you know, um, you want to just get the ball rolling and sure. So um, we've got the sermon on the plane, right? Yeah. Um, I'm messing around with some stuff, so please bear with me. New I'm, technology. I'm trying to say to the script. <laughs> All right. So sermon on the plane. No. So, so when we say Sermon on the Plain, we all know Sermon on the Mount. Right. So what would the difference be between Sermon on the Plain and Sermon on the Mount? Maybe we should start, we should start there. Well, do you... Uh, how about you go into it? Okay, so it, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, takes place on a mount. The Sermon on the Plain takes place at a fat, flat place. I think if we look back a couple of verses, uh, it talks about him... Verse 17, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. Them being he had just chosen 12 apostles. They're coming down. So this is on a flat level place. So it's called Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to Sermon on the Mountain context. Matthew's account. Um, yeah, very, Matthew's 5, 6, and 7. But the Sermon on the Mountain, if you if you read them, it's much lo- longer than, than this one. This one's a much shorter one. just takes, ha- well, the last, uh, let's see, about the last 30 verses in, in uh, Luke 6. Yeah. Um, it's a briefer account of Jesus' teaching, and uh, it's also slightly different in context. And you said, like you said, it's the Beatitudes. And if you're familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you're going to see, a, a, especially as we start, very familiar wording. And then you're going to see, whoa, whoa, that one's not in there. And, whoa, this part's <laughs> different. And then it jumps here. And uh, one thing to remember is Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. This is what he's doing. This is his mission. This is his ministry uh, all around Galilee at this point. Um, it's very likely he preached this sermon over and over. You can't do anything about that airplane, so that, that one you're not going to be able to pull out. Sorry about that, guys. That's a helicopter going on. Part of <laughs> and, uh, It'll pass by. Yes, yeah, so all things shall pass. <laughs> so as Jesus is doing his ministry, he's preaching the kingdom of God. As we're going to see as he gets in the audience here, he's letting people know, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, one who follows me, this is what it means. And he lays out the kingdom of heaven. So, of course, as he's preaching this, it's going to sound very similar. But just uh, like, like, like in our church, we have we have three services. And I think if you listen to the 8 o'clock, the 9, 30, and 11, you're going to see a little bit of differences in each one. But still very uh, similar. But and, and that's in the same place, same building, same day. Yeah. So as you have a different crowds, different things, he's going to emphasize things. 
Um, I think I think looking here, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the audience here a little bit before we even dive into the scripture. Yes, it's a little more diverse, a little different. At least we're we're in told of some some different people here. So as he's um, preaching and going around, it's similar context, but it's gonna be a little bit different as as he does that. And so this is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but just a little bit different. Yeah, it's almost as if Jesus didn't just say something and then move on. He kept hammering home the points. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sermon on the Plain. Let me go into, you know, just directly the signs. Let's look at the map because, you know, I like maps, mm-hmm. as you guys, if you guys haven't noticed. So, up here you have uh, Sidon. You got uh, Tyre here. And then you have... Tires are on my car. Yo, did they rotate? All the time. Um, <laughs> uh, you have okay, Gennesaret well, over here. Well, so is, we talk about Tyre and Sidon. Yeah. Okay. So Tyre and Sidon, what kind of cities are these? Oh, they're coastal cities. As okay. you can see right here, what does coastal generally mean is a lot of ports. Right. A lot of commerce, a lot of things happening, which means a lot of money, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have your poor. And, and, and ethnically, what, what are we looking at here? You're going to have to answer that, my friend. Uh, this, these would be the Phoenicians. These would not be Jews. These would be Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, there would be Jewish populations there because they do uh, trade a lot. Um, from Tyre came the, the, I believe it was Tyre, the, the, from Hiram, uh, came the cedars for the temple of um, Solomon. So there was a relationship between the Jews and them. So there would be a slight Jewish community here. But when it says the people of Tyre and Sidon, likely we have Gentiles from these wealthy towns coming. Right. So. Which is, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an important aspect of, you know, what we're looking at. You know, we're looking at this map, and Josh pointed out, you know, I, I kind of cut off the southern portion of things. Oh, because it tells us there was from Tyre and Sidon and also Jerusalem and Judea. Right. But south of where we're at right now. Yeah, so. a little bit further away, actually, but yeah. still in Israel. Still still Jewish people there. And the, the interesting aspect here and the reason why I pulled up this map is mainly because you look at the proximity of Tyre and Sidon, and at this point in time, they traveled up and down the coast. It's mm-hmm. possible that the rich traveled by boat, and then they made their little walk from west to east over towards the Sea of Galilee. You know, that's something that just kind of popped in my mind. If I'm rich and I want to go see Jesus... I'll take a boat. I'm mm-hmm. not going to walk like um, I added it up, and we're looking anywhere between 85 to 90 miles by foot, and that's rough. Right, because so, why can't you just walk straight? Why do you have to go so far? Oh, well, if you look topographically, them some mountains. Yeah, you can't walk through mountains. Can no, you? no, you can't. So uh, that, you know, again, my love for maps, you know, cartography in general is uh, showing through, but that's that. Now, I think you can see my cursor just fine. Here is so, so we can say that we have the local crowds from Galilee and, yes. and the areas Jesus is ministering, but especially in this crowd, we have those from Judea and Jerusalem, which is not too surprising because they're coming to see this supposed Messiah figure. But we also have in this crowd people who traveled quite a distance mm-hmm. um, from non-Jewish cities, uh, wealthy cities on the coast here, to hear and see Jesus themselves. Yeah, and we'll see in the text, too, you know, a lot of these people, or a, at least a significant amount of these people, were surrounding Jesus and wanting to be healed. We're talking unclean spirits, we'll, we're talking cripples, we're talking lepers. You mean <clears throat> rich people get sick, too? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so to travel by foot so far, being sick or crippled, it's, uh, it's a sign of the desperation people had. 
for the wholeness uh, only and, faith in Jesus can bring, and, and, a, and a sign of the hope that Jesus brought to these people. Yeah, and you've—I mean, you've got—you've got Jews that believe that the uh, the Messiah is going to break down the Roman Empire. You've got those uh, sets of people. You have the people that um, you know are Gentiles that uh, you know from Tyre or Sidon. They uh, almost want to be told how good they're doing because they've been so blessed. Um, but ultimately the, the whole point behind this and showing this map is to just showcase, you know, if you've got a crippled leg or a foot and you're not very well to do and you're walking to go see somebody on the chance that he will heal you is pretty incredible. Yes. You know, the amount of faith. Um, so anyway, we'll, um, we'll, we'll kind of move on. And uh, showcase the ideas. Okay, so what are ideas here? The ideas here are opening notes. Uh, <laughs> I think we just hit those. <laughs> well, so, you know, in my mind, um, you know, oh, Josh, gotcha, Josh and I, I kicked gotcha. these back and forth quite a bit, actually. And uh, we had some lengthy conversations because I don't think I put them in uh, the, the, the best of ways. But um, Luke 6, 12 through 19 I'm not going to pull it up, but you, you can do it in your personal study. To me, it brings to mind Moses in Exodus 34, uh, verses 29 through 32. That's Exodus 34, 29 through 32, um, where Moses was in God's presence on a mountain. Where did Jesus generally go to pray? A quiet place. Here so, it says specifically a mountain. So to bring those up to date, because I just read it real quick as he was talking. Basically, as Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, mm-hmm. he calls the tw- he calls tw- out of his disciples. He calls twelve the apostles, and then uh, he comes down to the level place. He starts teaching this crowd from Tyre and Sidon, healing them, uh, and they're all trying to touch him. So yeah, uh, another one of my notes here is where Moses was forced to cover his face when he came down off the mountain. His face was glowing, and so to uh, to be around the people, they couldn't. They couldn't look at him because his face was glowing from being in the presence of God himself. Uh, so he had to cover his face. Now, here we see Jesus rejuvenating himself with communion with the Father. So, so let me just ask, why was Moses' face glowing but not Jesus's? That's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's I didn't almost go this one the, time. So no, 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 it's, it's fine. So the, the whole point is God is imbuing Jesus with a portion of himself. Well, we used a big word there, imbuing. So, he's he's filling Jesus up, is what you're saying. But but yep. he didn't fill up Moses. He just he just sprinkled him on the outside, and he he glowed. Yes. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, the difference is is Moses was in the presence of the Shekinah. Uh, he's up on 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 uh, Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the law. Your passage in uh, Exodus 34, when he goes up, Joshua the son of Nun goes up halfway with him. He's, he's receiving the law from God. He's in the presence of the Shekinah glory. It, when, the, when the Shekinah came upon the mountain and God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites back in chapter 20 of Exodus, they said, we, we don't want God talking us to anymore. You go talk to him because we think we're going to die. So he's in the presence of the Shekinah, and that, that's what is doing it. Whereas Jesus is engaged in prayer like we should be. Correct. Okay. And this gotcha. is why I love Josh. Yes. Um, so d- just because you, you go up on a mountain and pray, don't think your face is going to glow like Moses. <laughs> that would be really super But, but cool if you come down looking uh, rejuvenated and, and, and ready to do ministry, that's that's the, the record or the, the example Jesus set. Which this kind of was my eye-opening <sighs> moment of like our, 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 you know, housekeeping at the beginning of we need to pray before we do you know, the, the Bible reading and get into this in the show is we need to be rejuvenated as well. 
regardless of if we're hosting a show or if we're studying alongside of you as, as brothers and sisters, the importance of prayer cannot be understated. No. Why? Because Jesus spent a significant amount of time at any given time in prayer to God. Um, so, again, opening notes here. You know, so much is happening within these few verses. Uh, it's a pivotal time in Jesus' ministry where the twelve were called to be his quote-unquote sent ones, apostles, um, from the large crowd of disciples. That's something that a lot of people don't catch, uh, even though it's, it's very clear in the text. It wasn't just the twelve. He was followed by a significant group of people that were his disciples. He was a rabbi. Right, and, 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 we, and we see evidence of this in Acts and they want to replace uh, Judas. They cast lots to pick one, and it's like Matthias. But one of the the requirements was you had to be with us from the beginning. So that means there were others that were there they could they could pull from who had been with them the whole time. Yeah. So now they weren't the sent ones. They weren't sent out. They weren't the twelve where Jesus spent his most time with. But they were following Jesus from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to quickly go through the rest of these because we're very easily going to go like way over time and I don't want to do that to anybody. So Jesus and his newly minted apostles are coming down from the mountain where a quote great throng of people had gathered from near and far. We've already covered that. So we're right. going to keep rolling. The tension here isn't explained thoroughly, but imagine a crowd of thousands surrounding you and crushing in just to touch you and be healed. Um, his new apostles would likely be turned into bodyguards to prevent Jesus from being hurt or crushed from the commotion. It's a very real fear. And mm-hmm. if you if you take your mind and you pull yourself away from, you know, the, the lens that you have, you know, your own experience in life, and you plop yourself into that situation, surrounded by thousands of people, how scary would that be when they're just crowding in just to get a touch of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, very frightening. Um, so we're going to go into his piercing gauge, uh, gaze. This is, uh, chapter six, 20 a, right? Yes. And then, um, um, I'll let you read the rest of them. Okay. So then we, we have, uh, after his piercing gaze that sets this up, yeah, we get into the red letters and in the red letters, we have a section of blessings and a sec or blessed, just something like to say, and then followed up by a set of woes that correspond. I believe every woe corresponds with a blessed yeah. as we'll see. Uh, and then we have the importance of love and living out this 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 life of follow of being a follower of Christ. Right. And then lastly, God the merciful, our ultimate example of mercy in Correct. this life. Absolutely. So we'll go directly into the scripture. Uh, so Luke six twenty eight. You want to? Well, why don't you take the first one since it's so short? I'll do it. Are you calling me? I, I, didn't you, I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> I just said it was short. That's um, all. And turning his gaze towards his disciples. And we're going to stop there. It's super short. But there's a lot of emotion here that can be gleaned um, out of the out of the scripture. So We made a whole point out of it called his piercing gaze. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? I have no idea why <laughs> things... If something <laughs> is happening on the screen, I apologize. Technical um, difficulties. I think my children are trying to open up chess on something. <laughs> And it is still doing it. Oh, my. There we go. All right. I don't know what's going on. It's opening chess. Can't figure it out. I, I, I don't think it's pop, popping up at all. So we, we got okay. to his, his piercing gaze, <laughs> yes. So who who is present here? Um, well, we have those. We, we, have the, we know the 12 are there be, yep. because uh, 
Oh, we're supposed to go in a certain order? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're so, fine. Uh, so we, we have his disciples. We've been, we've been talking about this large group of people following Jesus. Um, and then we have the 12 yep. that were just called. And then that very large crowd. So not only the 12, not only the disciples, those who've decided to follow Jesus. And, and that's the audience right there, actually. The disciples, the 12, that's the audience that that that, that is um, aimed at here. Jesus is going to say, if you want to follow me, this is what it means. So following me, and, and then the same thing with the, the Sermon on the Mountain, the, the, the Sermon on the Plain here. So... I'll be right Do we back. need to take a pause? Okay. No, go, go ahead. You got it. So uh, the, the audience is, is these, these 12 disciples, uh, the apostles that he's just called, the group of, uh, of disciples at large. But we have this very large crowd also there. And they've come to, to see Jesus. They've come first to, to be healed. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, if, if you're sick, if you're crippled, if you've got no, no hope elsewhere, uh, Jesus is, is healing. He's out, out here in Galilee. Let's go to Galilee and let's see him. And while this large crowd is there, Jesus uh, he gives a sermon here. If you want to follow me, this is what it means. Now, now the target audience, like we said, is, is the disciples and the 12. But the very large crowd is there also to hear the message. Yeah, and all of them would hear it. Yes, I went to the next point, but I didn't have the I didn't have them in front of me to see. So. No, that's fine. I apologize for having to step away. We're having uh, computer difficulties using all this tech. Sometimes we're figuring it out. Oops, happens. Yes. Uh, so we'll go back to the text and turning his gaze gaze. I keep saying gauge uh, towards his disciple. Yes, uh, disciples. So just like the Sermon on the Mount, here we see that his audience are his disciples. Uh, those who had decided they were going to follow him, and not just the 12, and not necessarily also the crowd that was there, but they, they were going to hear that message. Yeah. So. And um, I made this note, but then, Josh, you, you kind of went a little bit further and, and taught me a little bit differently. I said here in my notes, Jesus always taught people other than his disciples in parables. The crowd is blessed to witness and hear this amazing way of life, fruits of steadfast love, and be imitators of the most high lesson. Um, Josh, you had insight on that. Yeah, actually, later on, Jesus will, will shift his focus in his ministry where he will only, I believe Mark says, and he only spoke to them in parables after that. Uh, this would be before that time where he's still speaking to them. Uh, I think I'm here in my <laughs> iPad there. Uh, so he, he, he's speaking to the crowd still in a general sermon here like he did on the Sermon on the Mount. Later on, it would only be parables. He would still mix them in, in from here. And, and I, I think you almost see a parable element, uh, especially as we get into the blessed and the woes, uh, using everyday terminology to, to teach a spiritual truth. So, But there does come a point where he only teaches the crowds in parables so that those who wanted to understand him could figure it out, but those who wanted to not understand him would, would not figure it out. Right. So going into the next portion of the text. You take this because it's okay. much longer. You got it. I will do that. So he began to say, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the son of man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, 
where their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So looking at the blessings and woes. Yes. Um, blessed are you. Yes. Very intimate. Um, he's pointing out you. He's looking at his disciples. He's looking at you. Very important aspect here. Um, woe to you. Again, personal, yeah. He, yeah. He's not looking at the crowd at large, but but individuals inside the crowd. Yeah. And there's there's a contrast between them. You know, obviously, blessed, woe, com- two completely different things, and 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 strong words to live by and to be frightened by. You know, right. if you fall prey to the woes, um, and he knows the disciples' strengths. Um, so going back into, don't know why it's doing that. There we go. I'm going to have to figure that out, but we'll figure it out later. Figure out another day. Yeah. I'll put my notes over here so I don't lose everything. So. Perfect. So we start with the blessed are you who are poor. Right. So here, blessed in the Greek means, oh, how happy. It means happy, blessed, to be envied. So he's saying, oh, how happy are you who are poor. Oh, how to be envied are you to be who are poor. So now true happiness is a byproduct of a right relationship with God. Right. And true happiness cannot be discovered by direct pursuit. Um, the blessing is in the present tense as well. Yeah, this is a happiness to be enjoyed and delighted in. Right. It's not blessed shall be, it's blessed are. Right. And it's a strange uh, strange statement, too. Like, blessed by being poor? Yeah, um, that doesn't really make sense. No, it, does. doesn't, it doesn't at all. But, <laughs> but the power and wisdom of this truth uh, is in the fact that the one who is poor must look to others for his needs. We'll see uh, signs of that in Luke 9 when he sends his 12 out uh, two by two. Um, they don't get to take any money with them, do they? Yeah, no. And, and the one who is poor here has no illusions about their ability to provide for themselves. The, the one who, because of all the words in Greek that could be used for poor, this is the poorest of the poor. This is poverty poor. This is bottom of the barrel. You you can't you don't get poorer than this. Yeah, and uh, you know Matthew says poor in spirit. Yes. Right? So, yes. So and and this is this is where you can take the things that Jesus is saying and you can apply them to a multitude of of life circumstances. However, you know, looking specifically at the crowd that we have here, we kind of glean a little bit more what kind of context we need to read it in. But Josh, you had a lot of insight on how to, I guess, translate this or to, to view it, right? Well, yeah, the poverty that Jesus has in mind here is poverty and spirit, as we see in the, the Sermon on the Mount there in, in Matthew chapter 5. Right. Um, Jesus' teaching here is spiritual in nature. When he says poor here, he's not talking about being physically poor, although he's looking at a crowd that, that probably is full of, of physically poor people and, and some physically rich people. Uh, but the one who's poor recognizes they have no spiritual assets. Yeah, they're spiritually bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. They, they have nothing to bring to the table when it comes to pleasing God. So poverty of spirit cannot be artificially uh, induced by self-hatred. Um, the Holy Spirit and our response to his working in our hearts bring it about. Yeah, yeah, this is something that when we recognize that we have nothing to offer, like you said, it it can't be brought about by self-hatred. Well, if I just hate myself enough, I'll be poor in spirit. It's you recognizing your condition before Almighty God. Yeah, and it's first because it's where we start with God. It's not what I have, um, but what I do not have. 
That's our first point of contact with yeah. God. And it's also the first beatitude in Matthew 5. Because it's our start. It's our starting point. Yeah. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna have to gun and and I guess cherry pick from here because there's so many points just off of six verses. Yeah, you got it. But it, it, so blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So those who are spiritually poor, so poor they must beg, they're rewarded. Yeah. The blessing of the poor is placed first for a reason. Well, it's placed for because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because spiritual poverty is an absolute prerequisite receiving the kingdom of heaven if you think you can earn it you ain't getting it sorry yeah so Uh, but only with the beggars um oh goodness i lost my notes again yeah as long as we harbor illusions about the adequacy of our own spiritual resources we're never going to receive from god what we absolutely need to be saved yeah so continuing on into verse 21 uh blessed are you who hunger now uh the hungry person seeks uh, the hungry person, uh, they look for food to satisfy their appetite. Their hunger, hunger will drive them and give them focus. Yeah, hunger is going to motivate you when you're really hungry. Yeah. So, and, and this builds off of the, the one who's poor, the one who realizes, I have nothing to bring to God. Now they're going to hunger. Right. And Matthew 5 adds for righteousness uh, in describing what they hunger. So Jesus describes a blessing for those who focus on him and his righteousness, like a hungry per- person focusing on acquiring food. Yeah. And in Jesus, 21, for you will be satisfied, for you shall be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Jesus promised those uh, who hungered after him that they would be satisfied. You look at the, the Samaritan woman at the well, I'll give you a living water. You'll never thirst again. Um, here, we're, we're looking at this satisfaction. is not a one-time deal and done. It you know, satisfies you, us. We were talking about that when we were talking about prayer, I think before we started. It's... Uh, it's something that satisfies us, but it keeps us longing for more. And Jesus keeps filling us up. And, and that's what Jesus was doing as he went to the Father. He, he was filled. He was imbued. He was filled up. But then he went to get more and more and more. You're satisfied, but that satisfaction keeps driving you back to him. And you look at the reason why something exists in the text that we have before us. It's there for a reason. Why do we know that Jesus went by himself a multitude of times? into a quiet place so he could pray because it's a lesson. He can't, he's not just going to hammer it into our heads or, you know, to just yell it at us. And it was a lesson that he acted out that he, he, he showed them by doing it. Yeah. He physically separated himself from his close 12 and from his disciples and said, I'll be back. And then he went to go talk to God. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus Christ that did that. Yeah. And was he fallen? Was he sinful? No. How much more do we need it? Yes. So much. Um, talk about fallen and sinful, that kind of leads us to the next beatitude. Blessed are you who weep now. So what would make the poor and the hungry weep? They weep over sin. It's a fact. Um, they're aware uh, that they're low and needy because of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the opposite of that? For you shall laugh. Continuing on in verse 21, the one who weeps because of their spiritual condition can genuinely laugh when God makes things right. Um, So they're focused on what will be, not what is. Right. Um, 22, blessed are you when men hate you. That sounds terrible to be hated. Yeah, but when we think of people who see themselves as spiritually poor and, and hungry... Who, who weep as they understand their, their condition before God, it seems unlikely that these people would be hated. Right. But they are. <laughs> so how, how are they hated? They say in verse 22, they ostracize you, mm-hmm. and they insult you, and they scorn your name as evil. 
Yeah, and if, if something like that can happen to Jesus Christ as they're making fun of him after they beat the snot out of him, put a, a crown of thorns on his head, slam nails through his hands and feet, and then they're making fun of him? Oh, no, somebody said something bad about me. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads to a point I didn't put in the notes, too, I think, but it's for the sake of the Son of Man. Yeah. See, when people hate you, ostracize you, insult you, scorn your name, for the sake of the Son of, of Man. Right. For, it, for your relationship with Jesus. Not not because you're an idiot, because you do dumb things. Because <laughs> you probably do some stuff that would ostracize us and insult us and scorn us and uh, that we're guilty of and maybe we deserve. But when we do these things, these things are done to us because of Jesus. And we'll, we'll see evidence of that um, in, in your notes actually later on. I know you know your notes, but just you know, for the people that are listening that don't know these notes, um, Josh actually hits these pretty well on you know how you need to treat people that treat you poorly and also not let it be unjustly done to you. You know, it, it, you don't just lay over and, and plead for mercy. Like you can biblically defend yourself, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into that. So he says, if this is done for the sake of man, you will be blessed. Yeah. He says, be glad in that day in verse 23 and leap for joy. It seems like a paradox. Uh, it, be happy and, and hated. hated. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to put it into context. Like what Josh got through saying is a second ago, if it's in the service of Jesus Christ, if it's in the service of God, if the Holy Spirit is guiding you, it's fine and it will be fine, even if it's not right now. Yeah. And, and these ones who are being persecuted can rejoice because the reward is in heaven. Yeah. And they're in good company. I mean, the prophets before them were treated in a similar manner. Absolutely terrible. Uh, they, they, they brought the message of God, they served God, and they were treated bad for it. Yep. So, um, so now we'll, we'll enter that. That was uh, verse 23. Um, you know, so we looked glad. at four blessed. Yep. So blessed are the poor. I'm going to put you on the spot here. No notes here. Uh, blessed are the poor. Yeah, blessed um, are uh, 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 hunger. Those who hunger. Uh, yeah, who cry. Who weep. <laughs> bless those who weep and bless those who are persecuted yes, for we, the Son of Man. Yes. Correct, yeah. So now we're going to move into the woe session. We're going to find we've got four woes here, and they kind of line up right with the blessed. And I, you look so at let's first, let's talk about that word woe. Yeah, well, it, it has some history behind it. If you've read a significant portion of the Old Testament, when woes are happening, cities burn. They are destroyed. So this is something to take seriously. It's a three-letter word that is frightening. But is it a threat? No. What is it? It's an expression of regret and compassion. Right. He wants them to change their ways. Just the same in the Old Testament, we saw those woes. God was calling for those people to change. So the woes of Jesus in these verses appear to be paradoxical, right? just like the blessings he just spoke. Yeah. Um, continuing on in, in these notes, in an earthly physical sense, there is no woe. Regret or compassion. Yeah. Uh, for those that are rich, well-fed, laugh, and spoken well of by others. He, Jesus is contrasting the current expectations of his kingdom and the spiritual reality of his kingdom. you gotta, you got to remember, too, you know, the, the people that he's talking to, disciples, apostles, and just so happens to be people from all over the place, and we brought up Tyre and Sidon, you know, rich people. These are things that they need to hear. Yeah. And Jesus is mocking what the world values and what the world admires. He's turning their perception of the kingdom of God right side up. They were looking for this is what the kingdom of God is going to be in their mind. And instead of turning it upside down, in their eyes he's turning it upside down. But in reality, he's turning it right side up. Let me show you what it really looks like. He's saying those who think they're spiritually rich. Right. 
they do good enough to merit their righteousness. Culturally, God blessed those, the Jews looked at those who were rich were blessed by God. So of course they have salvation because they're pleasing to God, they're doing these things. So they think they're doing enough good to merit righteousness, and they're receiving their comfort in full here on earth and physically, yeah, not spiritually. Yeah. You have to understand that you, you can't buy your way into heaven. These people needed to understand that they couldn't buy their way um, into salvation, um, into Jesus's arms. It's by Christ alone. Yeah, they, they thought they were, did. They thought they were good enough, but they're not going to have the kingdom of God. Yeah, what are they going to do? They're going to mourn. They're going to weep on Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't to say that these same people can't find justification in Jesus, right? Oh, so you skipped over. You, you, you didn't oh, do I, the, I skipped. I skipped quite a bit. You, you skipped a whole wall. Oh, wait. No, yeah, no. those who are well fed now. Oh. You got to go in order. Oh, yeah, I those who that, are well yeah. fed now, they think their righteousness is enough. In the end, they're going to find their righteousness is lacking, and they'll be hungry. So, yeah. in other words, where spiritual uh, spiritual poorness, those poor in spirit, where, where that brings you is to a point where you realize. I'm not good enough. I, I don't have anything to offer. And so now you're longing, you're hungering after God's righteousness. Well, if you think you're good enough, you're, you're not hungering after God's righteousness because you think your righteousness is good enough. And then those who laugh now. See, that's where you're right. You see. Now, now we can <laughs> talk true. about those who laugh now. Well, and, quick, quick question then. How do you how do you rejuvenate? How do you regenerate your, your spiritual health and wealth? How do you fill that spiritual bank account? In prayer, Right. In prayer, obeying God, yes, yeah. following His commands, yeah. yeah. So, um, but we're talking about here, though. We're not talking about spiritual bank account of, of riches and poor. No, this no. is talking about in salvation. Right. So, there's nothing we have that we can do that. The salvation is it's paid on. It was paid in full by Jesus on the cross. Correct. So, yeah. So those who laugh now, they see nothing wrong with their condition. But like you said, they're going to weep and mourn on Judgment Day. Yeah. Those those who all men speak well of. Yeah. Uh, they te- tell people what they want to hear and not the truth of God. Yeah, uh, they tell them what the culture wants to hear, you know, because, you know, it's getting harder and harder to stand on what the Word of God says and, and not what people want it to, says, yeah. want it to say. Woe. Yeah, Woe so, to them. Woe, Woe to us that fall prey to that. Yeah, the ones relying on themselves and their own works and not on God. Yeah. Woe to them. And the apostles and his disciples, they needed to recognize that none of these blessings or woes um, are exclusive of one another. Uh, each is interchangeable. Uh, for example, being rich doesn't condemn you to only receive comfort here on earth, uh, but the rich that hunger after God's mercy and love will still be satisfied. And Josh, you had you had some additional thoughts on that. Do you want to get into that, or do you want to just keep on rolling? My thoughts were on what? The rich? On a, a, a rich inheriting. It was, it was pre-show. We can, we can move on. The rich inheriting. I'm lost where we were pre-show, so maybe it's it was not important. Yeah, yeah, it's probably just a side note that okay. my head hit and it needs to move away. Um, so they're 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 close to the heart of Jesus' uh, disciples and apostles. If we rewind, we look at the context again. You know, I found uh, chapter five, verses four through seven. Simon and his brother and uh, James and John. They'd been fishing without success all night. They had empty nets. They had nothing to show for their work. Their coin purses would be no fuller than the day before if it wasn't for Jesus saying, "Hey, dudes." cast your net on this side and what happened they they sunk their boats yeah or at least got close to sinking their boats um you look at 5 uh 12 through 26 he, Jesus, by relying on, on jesus instead of themselves right uh they still casted a net 
Jesus didn't just magically, you know, apparate these, these fish into the nets, but, um, they did their work. Yeah. Right. Uh, five, 12 through 26, Jesus heals a man covered with leprosy who would have constantly cried out, uh, to warn others and had been ostracized uh, for his condition. He also yeah. heals a paralytic man. Well, back to the leprosy thing, just yeah. since you brought it up, and, and I didn't bring this up pre-show, so you didn't realize it, but Go. leprosy was a, a, an illustration of sin, and that's why he's ostracized. That's why he has to warn others, and only Jesus can heal it. <laughs> you know, so it, it's just it's a picture of the work of Jesus and what he's doing there. Right. So uh, it's beautiful. a great picture. Yeah. No, I'm glad you had that extra note. Um, Five twenty-seven through thirty, we find Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. Uh, he's thrown a large party for Jesus using his worldly wealth, a proper use of his worldly riches. Uh, but the Pharisees questioned Jesus' uh, Jesus's disciples at why they would fraternize with tax collectors and other people that are okay with them. Right. Um, oh well. Uh, you look at five thirty-three through thirty-five. The Pharisees receive an answer from Jesus himself about their issue with his disciples not fasting. Uh, but instead accusing them of gluttony. And then followed up immediately after that is 6, chapter 6, 1 through 5. His disciples were hungry and persecuted for harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Well, guess who is the Sabbath? Jesus. The Sabbath rest, yep, is Jesus, as we see in Hebrews chapter 4. Maybe we'll pull that one one day. (laughs) Maybe, if we're meant to. (laughs) So the, the reason why I put these here is it's important to understand that when Jesus is speaking directly to his apostles and disciples, he's speaking to... The, the things that have actually very recently happened or they witnessed in their travels with Jesus, blessed are you. He's, he's taking something that's happened, and he's making a lesson out of it. Yeah, he's taking a physical reality mm-hmm. and turning a spiritual lesson into it, a spiritual application to it, just just like you would in a parable. Right. So, yeah, even right. though it wasn't a parable, per se, <laughs> but it, it, it has an elements of it, of taking something they could understand that they were going through in life, and, and applying to it a spiritual reality to it so they can understand it better. Right. So we'll go uh, down into 27 through 35, and I, I labeled it A. You know, I'm no biblical scholar, but I... That just means you didn't want to use the whole verse. Yeah, pretty much. So I'll take this one. Um, uh, 27 through 35A, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray to those who mistreat you. Whoever, for, for those who mistreat you. Uh, for those, sorry. Thank you. Uh, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. So let's look at those ideas. All right. It's the importance of love. Yep. Yep. We got a, a, just a simple command here. So uh, seek justice within the confines of love and uh, give to everyone that asks of you. And, and we see we see the golden rule here right in these scriptures. Yeah, something uh, a lot of us learned from you know, grade school, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so keeping back in uh, or going back into the text, 
Um, He continues by explaining the various ways that these blessings and woes are compatible with one another, as long as you follow and trust in him. Uh, Beginning with verse 27, he's undeniably foretelling what he will do to those that crucify him, calling to attention how he will act and react during this horrific triumph over sin. Now, notice I say horrific triumph. It was horrific, but it was a triumph. We need not forget the triumph of the cross. The cross was a victory. Yes. Not a defeat. No. We look it, at it it, sometimes we look at the people look at the cross as a defeat, and then Resurrection Day Sunday was, was the victory. But no, no, no. The victory was on the cross, and the, the resurrection is the, the receipt paid in full, the showing that Jesus is who he said he was. Yeah. So he, he goes in. Uh, go ahead. All right. So we got here in verses 27 and 28, the theme being love your enemies. Seems it's simple. a simple command to understand, <laughs> yeah. but a very difficult one to obey. Oh, man, in practice. Now, the love that Jesus tells us to have here for our enemies is not the warm, fuzzy feeling deep in our heart. Because if we wait for that love, guess what? We may never love our enemies. No, the love we should have for our enemies is a love that does something for them, apart from how we may feel about them. And and Jesus tells us exactly how to actually love our enemies. Do good. Yes, do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Yeah. He's He's calling us to respond to our enemies with love. That way you, you can trust that God will destroy our enemies, his enemies, in the best way possible. We don't have and to how cause that, anybody harm. So how is the best way possible to destroy our enemies? Because I have some pretty good ideas. <laughs> oh, man. There's worldly Aaron, and there's uh, the desire to be godly uh, Aaron uh, in, in here. Uh, so let's go with the godly version. What's the best <laughs> way, godly way, to destroy our enemies? Honestly, you know, you, you read the scripture of, and you'll know this, I just know it by heart. I, I don't know the, the actual verse or, or chapter or book, but you'll, you'll heap uh, burning coals on their heads. Yeah. You know, um, in you, Romans chapter 12. But it's quoting the Old Testament. I'm not sure where. Ultimately. But Psalms or Proverbs, I'm sure. Ultimately, to me, the, the whole standpoint should be that we would want them to be reconciled to God, to Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive their justification, to gain their sanctification, and eventually have glorification in God. So, so how do we trust God will destroy our enemies in the best way? What does he do to them? You're just going to have to answer that one, my friend. I Transforming them into our brothers and sisters. The best <laughs> way to destroy our enemies is to make them family. That's kind of what I said. Yeah, kind of. Sort of. But you were jumping around it. No. And we saw this <laughs> in, in our, with our Acts 16 study. I mean, obviously, the jailer was probably an enemy to Paul and Silas. Yeah. Uh, but they did everything they could to share the gospel with him and, and transformed him into a brother. Yeah, I'm not going to be friendly. Uh, okay, I would want to be. But I also probably couldn't be friendly to anybody that's going to put my legs in stocks and spread them open to the point where I feel like everything's going to rip up. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be hard, but they did it. That was a great example of it, yes. So yeah. then, getting into verse 29, because this gets fun. Yeah. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so what's meant here? When a person insults us, yeah, uh, he hits you on the cheek. That, that's what that means. It's an insult. Yeah. Uh, we want to pay them back what they gave to us. Um, I mean, maybe a little more too, you know? Yeah. But Jesus said we should bear patiently such insults and not resist the person who is insulting us. 
Yeah. Uh, ancient Jewish writing says that striking someone with the back of the hand was a severe insult and was punishable by a very heavy fine. We, we find this in the Mishnah Book 8. Um, so it would be wrong to think that Jesus uh, means evil should not be resisted. Uh, Jesus quite clearly demonstrated himself that evil should and must be resisted. Uh, like when he turned over tables in the temple, uh, in one of the accounts he actually braids a whip as he does this. Yeah. Um, when he's slapped by uh, the leaders, and he's like, uh, I forget exactly what he says. What does he say? Um, he's brought before the uh, Pharisees or Sadducees, uh, and uh, they, they slap him across the face. Was that Jesus or Paul? I thought it was Jesus. And uh, well, uh, we'll look. That I know the up. story you're talking about. I don't remember the exact details. Yeah, I sworn it was Jesus. But he said, "Who is doing that?" And the high priest, and he's okay. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, we should we shouldn't resent these people. Yeah, we, what he's saying is we, we shouldn't resent them. Yeah, uh, we should not re- seek re- retaliation for every slight that we have. Yeah, and, and when we look at Jesus and and how he himself was insulted and spoken about. <laughs> Uh, you already hit this one as a glutton. I love yep. that you had that word in there because that was the same one of my notes there. Uh, he was called a drunk. Uh, he was called an illegitimate child. Uh, and that was in his hometown, by the way. So that means that followed him everywhere. Uh, he was called a blasphemer. That That's what they put him to death for. I love, I love this or one. That's what they mad. thought they put him to death for anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he man. was called a madman and, and so forth. And we, we see how he lived this principle himself. He wasn't trying to get back everything. You know, every little slight. But also, it would be wrong to think that Jesus means a physical attack cannot be resisted or defended against. When Jesus speaks of someone hitting you on the cheek, it was culturally understood as a deep insult. This wasn't, hey, let's fight. Today's culture, if you slap a guy across the face, he's probably swinging back. That would, culturally to us, that would mean, hey, let's have a fist fight. Right. But here it's meant to insult. I guess sometimes you see in a movie when when guys want to duel or something, they'll take a gauntlet or a glove, depending on the movie, and they'll smack a guy across the cheek. That's kind of the idea. It's not a physical attack, it's meant to be an insult. Right. So Jesus doesn't mean if someone hits you across the head with a baseball bat, well, lean over and let them hit the other side as well. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about if they insult you, don't insult them back. Let them insult you again. Right. Um, and, and it would also be wrong to think that Jesus means there's no place for punishment or retribution in society. Now, Jesus here is speaking to personal relationships, not to the proper functions of government in restraining evil. Yeah, your note here says Romans 13, 1 through 4. Yes, that's, that's talking about the role of the government. So yeah. I'm what he's saying here is I must turn my cheek when I'm personally insulted, but the government has responsibility to restrain the evil man from the physical assault right. or to punish him for the physical assault afterwards. So we're going to have to book it. We're, we're going we're gonna to be over time, so uh, let, let's keep rolling. Um, whoever takes away your coat, did I withhold? I'm the concept. We're okay. Yeah, it's true. Uh, withhold your shirt. Do not withhold your shirt from him either. Uh, Give to everyone who asks of you. That's 29 and 30. Uh, Here Jesus deals with people who mistreat, coerce, and manipulate us. Oh, I know those kind of people. Yeah, I've dealt with them. I think everybody that's listening has probably as well. If you haven't, you will. Don't worry. (laughs) Maybe do worry. Yeah, and and don't be that person. I I think we all (laughs) have the risk of being So, So what he's telling us here is how we take command of the situation when we see these people, when we do it by sacrificial giving. Yes. Uh, Now, see, under the law of Moses, the cloak could not be taken from someone. So if somebody owed you money, something for sure, you could not take the cloak. The cloak being the outer garment that you wore, um, 
it was they, they wore the same clothes every day. They, they didn't get to change like we did yeah, so, so you're much. Saying it, if they come after you for what you can legally keep, give them your shirt as well. Right, right. Because your cloak was your blanket. It was your sleeping bag. It was your. It was important, to, especially the poor people. So you can't take that. And yeah, right. if, if they come after what you can keep, give them what give them what the give them your shirt too. And that is the ultimate example. You know, trying to be like Jesus Christ, trying to imitate, trying to be an imitation, um, suffer wrong. Lavish your love on all. Yeah. Yeah, we're to practice this kind of sacrificial love because we know that God takes care of us. Yeah. We know that if we give away our coat and our shirt and whatever else they ask for, God has plenty more to give us. Yeah. And the, the only limit uh, of this, this kind of sacrificial love is the limit uh, love itself will impose. If we give into someone's manipulation without making it into a free act of love, that's not love. That's not loving. No, that, that's just giving in the manipulation yeah. without resisting. That, that, that's not love. Yeah. Uh, love is realizing the manipulation and giving because of love, not because you're being manipulated. And that's why Jesus says what he says next, to treat others the same way you well, want I'll, them to I'll, treat you. I wanted to build off of that one because I don't want go. someone to take it the wrong way. Oh, go. Yeah, yeah, I know you're trying to skip my notes, but I don't want to. <laughs> uh-huh. But sometimes giving to someone in these circumstances would not be loving. Which is why Jesus says what he says next. In other words, well, you know, you just have to give them and give them and give them. Well, if we know someone's an addict and we just keep giving them and giving them and giving them, um, we won't get into current events or anything on that one. But that's not loving. If we know they're going to take this to harm themselves. So that's why I believe Jesus says what he says next. I, I believe this next statement builds off of this. You know, when they're manipulating, you give to them anyway. But then what's he say next in verse 31? Go ahead and read it. I already read it sure. once. You uh, do it okay. again. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Yes. What, what is that called? That's called the golden rule. Oh, wow. And now, see here, Jesus did actually did not originate this. It had been around for a while, but slightly different. The negative form of this command had been learned long before Jesus, and we, we found it quoted. Uh, it had long been said, you should not do to your neighbor what you would not want him to do. You know, see, this is so much more clumsy. You should not do to your neighbor what you would not want him to do to you. <laughs> but Jesus put it in the positive. Treat others the same way you want to be treated. In other words, don't the, 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 the golden rule before Jesus, maybe we'll call it the silver rule, was don't do the bad things to other people that you don't want them to do to you. Right. So if you don't want them to do it to you, don't do it to them. Which I, I, I you know what, I think I've told my kids that a few times. It, it makes it much more broad mm-hmm. as well. Oh yeah, it, uh, well, there's a whole lot more neighbor? about n- not doing and doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if I want him to do something, you know, funky? Are you trying to to mistake this or whatever? <laughs> no, so. Uh, just ignore that. Um, but yeah, it does. It makes it more broad. It makes it much more easy to understand. And no one, uh, without getting into like personal, you know, self-love and, you know, uh, treating yourself right and with respect. Um, I believe it's Paul even says that no one, you know, will will uh, hate his own body. Yep. Right. So that's what Jesus is talking about, or that's what Paul was talking about. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, and it's like this, if you want an illustration of it. The, the negative was like obeying traffic laws. Yeah. So the difference here is not breaking traffic laws, but in doing something positive like helping someone stranded on the side of the road, pulling over. 
because that that's if you're stuck on the side of the road, that's how you want someone to treat you. Interesting. That's so that's a whole too, it's it? a whole lot better than don't speed or or, <laughs> or hey, um, don't splash. You know, don't don't hit that puddle right there next to that person who's broke down on the side of the road because you wouldn't want that to happen to you. Right. No, stop out and help them. Do something. Unless it's like your best friend and it's a joke. Yeah, then maybe it gets a pass, right? Well, maybe you'd want your best friend to do it to you, so I guess you can get away with it then. <laughs> so, you know, 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Yeah, yeah, it's no virtue and <laughs> no. certainly no imitation of Jesus to merely return love that is given to us. Now, what he's not saying here is that we shouldn't love those who love us. He's just saying is you don't get credit for loving those who love you because that's the easy part. Yeah, yeah. Super, super easy. So he's teaching the character of those uh, who are citizens in his kingdom. That's the important takeaway here. Yep, they're renewed, repentant, and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Amen. So moving into text again, we're looking at, uh, what is it, Luke, uh, was it 35b through 36? For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So... Go ahead and take the... Uh, so, so for he who... Oh, okay, to the point. Man, I was ready to jump in. The notes, man, you had me going. Okay, yeah, so we have everlasting justification through Jesus. And this is God the merciful. Yes, and then we see sanctified through the Holy Spirit, glorified by God, but in all things, be merciful like our God. Yeah. So, text again here. All right, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And this is the example we get from, from God the Father. So when we love our enemies and do good and lend, expect nothing in return, we're following the example of our Heavenly Father. Oh, yeah. Our reward is great. Speak about the rewards for a sec. The citizens of God's kingdom will be sons of the Most High God. I can't think of a greater reward than that. No, my, I, I don't think there's a greater reward that the Most High God could give. <laughs> it's pretty amazing that we even have access to it. Yes. Um, 36. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So citizens of Jesus' kingdom have a pattern for the way they should be merciful. The same way God has been merciful to us. And, you know, that's a whole lot of mercy. And it yeah. requires more mercy from us, not less. Yeah. So truly following the path of love, respect, kindness, it's a key aspect yeah. um, of the rewards given to those that believe in Jesus and achieve um, you know, the rewards um, that we are justified through him. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit's sanctification, and we have God's glorification. Um, emulating the, the mercy of God to all people is, uh, well, no matter how ruinous uh, or terrible they are uh, to you as a person, is, uh, I mean, the only way to be, you know? You, you know what? I just looked at all of this and the notes and everything, and our slides, we're going to have to go out with some slides. We left off the last couple of verses. We did, yep. We did. But we, okay. can go, we, can go off the, we can go off the rails a little bit. We did. Um, and this is a pretty important one because this one's pretty messed up by a lot of people. But there's two really um, misused applications uh, of these verses here. So uh, in, the original reading, in the original reading, we had stopped at 36, if I recall correctly. I thought, it, no, no, because I remember doing the standard measure to be measured to you in return. You are sure? Yeah. I apologize. I went to, to the black letters. I went I, to the black letters. I apologize to everybody. I was wondering this entire time, but I never brought it up. But anyway, we'll move on. We'll take that as a kick in the pants for me. Nobody's okay. nobody's per nobody's nerfed. Yes. Right? So we have here do not judge. That's what I want to get into because it, it, it's and you 
will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Right. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, and shaken together and running over, for by your standard of measures it will be measured to you in return. So we have here, do not judge, and you will not be judged. So Jesus warns against passing judgment upon others. Right. Because when we do so, we will be judged in a similar manner. That's true. Among and You should see the text on your screen at this point in time. Okay, gotcha. So among those who seem to know nothing of the Bible, this is a verse that seems to be very popular. Yet most people who quote this verse do not understand what Jesus said. They seem to think, or at least hope, that Jesus commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching. But just a few verses later in the same sermon, both in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6 here, Jesus tells us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of their life, verses 43 and 45 in in Luke chapter 6. So some sort of assessment is required for that. Mm. So we would call an assessment what uh, if we're if if we're if we're knowing people by their fruit that's almost judging them in a way. Interesting. See, we're called to show unconditional love, but we're not called to unconditional approval. And we're not called to condemn. No, we really can love people who do things that we cannot approve of. Yes, we can still love them. And we, not only can we still, we're called to love them. So while this does not prohibit the examining of others' lives. It certainly does prohibit in doing a way that it is often done. I've heard love the sinner, hate the sin. Yes. Well, here, uh, but the judge not part here is uh, an example of this unjust judgment would be the disciples' condemnation of the woman who came to anoint the feet of Jesus with oil. Uh, We see this in Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. They thought that she was wasting something valuable. That was very expensive oil. But Jesus said she had done a good work and that they would always be remembered. Their judgment was rash, harsh, and unjust. So we break this command when we think the worst of others. We break this command when we only speak to the others of their faults. We break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. And we break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstances. We see we see evidence of, of a similar story with uh, the bridegroom in, in Luke, um, where Jesus is the bridegroom, and they're throwing the party and eating and drinking, and then the apostle or the, the disciples are, are eating uh, on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are calling them out for it, and Jesus is like, "Hey, you know." Yeah, I think you had an earlier example, here. something similar. I, I, yeah. That's what I was thinking of when you... it brings it back full circle. Yep. Look at yeah. that. And we look at verse 37, Jesus says, do not condemn. And not just be not, do not condemn, but pardon. Yeah. And he expands the idea simply by, pass, by passing judgment on others. He tells us not to condemn them and to pardon them as well. And then to get to the the, the other um, misused verse here in verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Sounds great. I think I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this. Uh, Jesus encourages the freedom to give without fearing that we, we will be the loser when we give. You can't outgive God. He will return more to you in one way or another, and that's the key here, than you give to him. Now, while this is true of material things, giving of material things, right. although the return on material things may not be material, that's the part that gets lost a lot. Yep. The point of application here, if you look at the context, what's he talking about? 
He's not talking about giving materially here. He's talking about giving love, blessing, and forgiveness. That's the application here, the pointed application. There, it might be true materially, but that's not what he's speaking of, and that's what many who preach on this in a wrong manner are missing. It's about love, giving love, blessing, and forgiveness. We never yeah. come up the loser when we give these things after the pattern of, of God's generosity. And that's the point Jesus is making. He says, for by your standard measured, it will be measured to you in return. This is the principle that do not judge and you will not be judged is built upon. God will use the same standard of measure that we use for others. That's a powerful motivation to be generous with love, forgiveness, and goodness to others. It also means that we shouldn't be ashamed to desire our rewards in heaven. Right. No, if we, we want more of this from God, it, then we should give more of these things to others. Yeah, and, and, but the, the most important aspect of that is to not desire these rewards in heaven, in the afterlife. Well, well Jesus says, store up in heaven where wrath and, wrath, <laughs> moth and rust do not destroy. That's yeah. Jesus' things, yeah. And Jesus here, he's not prohibiting the judging of others. He only requires that our judgment be completely fair. We should only judge others by standard. We would also like to be judged. That kind of changes things a lot. It does. And maybe I'm going off on a limb here, but apparently it was very easy to misunderstand that even then when it was coming out of Jesus' mouth because the early church had to set up ways to handle disagreements with one another. Well, Jesus actually set them up in Matthew. Well, what I'm saying is like that is something that they had to do. They, mm-hmm. they had to actually follow through. Yeah. You know, if you have a disagreement with someone or if you have a problem with someone, you do it from a biblical standpoint. You know, for us, it's easy to say biblical standpoint, but back then... Well, it, Je- Jesus gave them that standard before there was a church. Okay. So, yeah, they, they were following what he, he, he says in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 18. So when our judgment of others is wrong, it's often because we judge according to a standard. Our, not because we judge according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application of that standard. Right. We ignore applying that standard to our life. It's common to judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard, being far more generous to ourselves than others. We should only judge another's behavior when we're mindful of the fact that we ourselves will be judged, and we should consider how we want to be judged. Yes. Kind of go back to treat others how you want to be treated. Kind of sums it right back up. <laughs> Full very, circle. Very I just want to hit those two about judging, not judging, because that gets thrown a lot of us as Christians, and the application is just wrong by most people applying that. And the give, and it'll be given back to you, shaken, stirred up. I've heard a lot of pastors get really happy about that one. And he's <laughs> talking about these giving love and generosity and forgiving others. More than he's talking about, send a check to a church and you'll get, you know, you'll, 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 God's just going to bless you financially. Yeah, you get an ROI on your investment in Jesus. Yes, exactly. That, that's not how it works. So now we can move on to application. Well, and, and apologies for those of you that are watching live, for those of you that are catching the video. Um, you know, oops, sorry. <laughs> I did not mean to leave those out on purpose. That's okay. It's, it's, um, what do we call it? Um, Just missing it. Learning as we go. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Poe buddy's nerfed. Uh, nobody's yeah. perfect. Anyway. All right. So application. Um, we should be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated by men for the sake of the Son of Man. Uh, poor in the sense that we have nothing to offer for our righteousness. Hungry in a sense that righteousness, uh, for the righteousness... Uh, 
that Jesus offers, weeping in the sense of realizing the effects of sin, hated by men for the sake of the Son of Man in the sense that we now, or that we stand on his standard and not the world's. Uh, Go ahead. All right. And we need to love our enemies in an active manner by doing good and praying for them, not feeling insulted and looking for a way to get back at them. In other words, we should treat people the way we want to be treated, even even to those who do not treat us well. God's treatment of us is our example to follow in this. The same standard we use here is the same standard God will use with us. Pretty, pretty good application. Yeah. So, everybody, that wraps up the Beatitudes in Luke. Luke chapter 6. 20 through 38, 39? 37, I think. Was it 37? I thought it went to 38. Let's see. I can probably pull it. Whoa, popped all the way up to verse 20 there. There we go. (laughs) It is... 38. 38, yeah. Yeah. All right. So okay. that is uh, done and dusted. Another episode behind the belt. We, we are, are we are concluded. Yeah, we are. So now we get to do the thing. Yes, we get to we get to do the Bible thing, the random thing. Yeah, the the random thing. All right. So I'm flipping this time, right? Yes. And then yeah, because I, I wouldn't stop reading last time. <laughs> well, here I thought you you stopped like two verses before you did. So I yeah. apparently zoned out. Apparently I went even further than you thought. You ready? I know. I'm ready. I've got something. I don't know what it is. Oh, boy. Here we go. Watch it be the Beatitudes again. No, we're in First Chronicles. All right. I see uh, the genealogy of David, actually. Um, So we're looking at uh, First Chronicles. That goes all the way to there. You're going to have to cut that one short. Uh, (laughs) All right. Yeah. So here's the deal, fellas. We'll see. Let's... (laughs) We're, we're going to read until we get a cohesive thought. You're not, you're not reading all those like names. No, I'm not going to. Fam- How oh, a family of David. It means kind of the same thing. Yeah, kind of does. I mean, I saw two, right, and right. I saw verse nine, but, you know, I could start at two. But anyway, let's, let's, let, uh, let's let the Holy Spirit take over on this one. Uh, so First Chronicles. Chapter 2, let me pull it up in Logos so you guys can read it alongside. So, first, number 2, and switch over to Logos. All right. Starting in verse 9, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're reading it, not me. Yeah, welcome. You are the one that flipped it. So, apparently, we're supposed to be here for some reason. We'll figure it out all together. You could have started somewhere else. I'm sorry, but you know what? Eh. Uh, Verse 9. Now the sons of Hezron, who were born to him, were Jeremiel, Ram, and Chelebi. Ram became the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab became the father of Nashon, leader of the sons of Judah. Nashon became the father of Salma. Salma became the father of Boaz. Do we know Boaz? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boaz became the father of Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse. Now you're in familiar words. We've read these before. Yeah, and Jesse became the father of Eliab, his firstborn, then Abinadab, Abinadab the second, Shemaiah the third, Nethanel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozim the sixth, David the seventh. And their sisters 
were Zariah and Abigail. And the three sons of Jeriah were Abshai, Joab, and Ashahel, or uh, Asahel. Abigail bore Amasa, and the father of Amasa was Jether, the Ishmaelite. Now Caleb, the son of Hezron, had sons by Azabah, his wife, and by Jerioth. And these were her sons, Jasher, Shobab, and Ardon. When Azabah died, Caleb married Ephrath, who bore him her. Her became the father of Arai, and Arai became the father of Bezalel. Afterward, Hezron went into the daughter of Machir, the father of Gilead, whom he married when he was 60 years old, and she bore him Segub. I'm probably butchering that name. I'm sorry. Uh, Segub became the father of Jer, who had 23 cities in the land of Gilead. But Geshur and Aram took the, uh, the towns of Jer with them, with Kenneth and its villages, even 60 cities. All these were the sons of Machir, the father of Gilead. After the death of Hezron and Caleb Ephrathah, Ephrathah, Abijah, Hezron's wife, bore him Asher, the father of Tekoa. Now the sons of uh, Jeremiel, the firstborn of Hezron, were Ram, the firstborn, then Buna, Buna, uh, Oren, Ozim, and Ahiah. Uh, Jeremiel had another wife whose name was Atara. She was the mother of Onam. The sons of Ram, the firstborn of Jeremiel, were Maz, or Maaz, maybe, Jamin, or Jamin, and Eker. The sons of Onam were Shammai and Jada. And the sons of Shammai were Nadab and Abishur. The name of Abishur's wife was Abihail, and she bore him Aban and Molid. The sons of Nadab uh, were Selad and Apayim, or Apayim, and Selad died without sons. The son of Apayim was Ishi, and the son of Ishi was uh, Shisha. Shishan, sorry. The son of Shishan was uh, Eli. The sons of Jada, the brother of Shammai, were Jether and Jonathan, and Jether died without sons. The sons of Jonathan were Pilath, uh, or sorry, Pilath and Zaza. These were the sons of Jeremiel. Now Shishan had no sons, only daughters. Shishan had an Egyptian servant whose name was Jara. Shishan gave his daughter to Jara, his servant in marriage, and she bore him a tie. Atai became the father of Nathan, and Nathan became the father of Zabad. Zabad became the father of Ephlal, and Ephlal became the father of Obed. And Obed became the father of Jehu. Jehu became the father of Azariah. And Azariah became the father of Helez, and Helez became the father of uh, Eliasha. And Eliasha became the father of uh, Sismai. And Sismai became the father of Shalom. Shalom became the father of Jechemiah. And Jechemiah became the father of Elishama. We're still going. <laughs> now the sons of Caleb, the brother of Jeremiel, were Mesha, his firstborn, who was the father of Ziph. And his, sons, uh, his son was Merisha, the father of Hebron. The sons of Hebron, Hebron, Hebron uh, were Korah and Tapua and Rechem and Shema. Shema became the father of Raham, the father of Jorkiam. And Rechem became the father of Shammai. The son of Shammai was Moan, or Maon, sorry, and Maon was the father of Bethzer. Ephah, or Ephah, uh, Caleb's concubine, bore Haran, Moza, 
and Gezaz, and Haran became the father of Gezaz. The sons of Jadai were Regim, or Regim, Jotham, Gishan, Pelet, Ephah, and Shaph. Uh, Makah, Caleb's concubine, bore Sheber and Tirhanah. She also bore uh, Sheaf, maybe is the way it's pronounced, the father of Madnaha, or Mad, uh, Mada, Mad, Madmana, Madmadana, no, Madmana. Shiva, the father of Macbena and the father of Gibeah. The daughter of Caleb was Aksha. These were the sons of Caleb. We're still going. The sons of her, the firstborn of Ephrata, were Shobel, the father of Kiriath-Jerim, Salem, the father of Bethlehem, and Hareth, the father of Bethgader. Shobal, the father of Kiriath-Jerim, had sons, Heroah, half of the uh, Manahathites. And the father of Kiriath-Jerim, the Ithrites, the Puthites, Puthites, uh, the Shemathites and the Mishraites. Mishraites. Uh, from these came the Jorathites and the Eshtaolites. The sons of Salma were Bethlehem and uh, the Nedophatites, Atroth, Beth, Joab, and half of the Manahatites and Zorites. We're almost done. The family of scribes who lived at Jabez were the Tirathites, the Shemiathites, and the Sugathites. Those are the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of the house. Rechab. I want to show you something very amazing. Go for it. Somebody else is still watching. <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody stayed through the whole thing. I Well, I stayed. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, you're still here. I, I've already got one of the applications oh, for next time. Man, I'm already sweating. done. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to stop there, right? Yep. Yep. Um, the application is look right. a little longer before you pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I pick what's close to me. I, mm-hmm. I pick, uh, you know, I really wanted to test out my That might be the last time I go for the Old Testament. Well, you're not supposed to go for anything. This is supposed to be random. Well, you obviously know if you're going Old or New Testament. Otherwise, you never get the first books or last books. You only get Psalms. I know. But even then, you know you're in the Old Testament. You kind of have an idea if you're in the Old Testament or New Testament when you're picking. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, unless you're around the, the, the minor prophets in Matthew. <laughs> but outside of that, you have a pretty good idea if it's going to be. Now, you don't have any idea where. Right. Just as long as one day we don't end up with, like, the atlas in the back. Yeah. You know, it's like, and there's a map, everybody. I, I think if there's no scripture, we have to do a redo on that one. I'm completely okay because with that. Otherwise, we're never going to get into Genesis or Revelation, so there's got to be something. You know? Yeah. So, all right. Here we have what's called the genealogy of David. Obviously, we saw some, uh, some people that we all recognize pretty easily. I saw a few that we recognize. You got Boaz, Obed, uh, Jesse, and... Um, you know, and one thing I'm interested in is it calls it the genealogy of David, but David's in the middle. Interesting. Why is that? I don't know. I said that's one thing I'm interested. Now, this is a heading put in by by uh, scribes right, later, right. not 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 when it was written. So I'm just interested why they call it the genealogy of David if he's well, not really in the middle. He's a, he was towards the beginning half, but I mean beginning portion. But, right. Um, it's some generations before him, post Judah, because that's up above. And in, in, in the first part of chapter two, you didn't read. You might as well just go back to verse one and just read them. No, I'm kidding. No. Uh, um, it's it's a bunch of names, everybody. Yes. Spoiler alert. It's on your screen also. Like you can see yeah. it if you're watching live. If you're lucky enough to be watching live, that's what uh, I'm talking about. There's still the there's st- I, it's, I, it's showing two. So if that counts us, there's at least one other person watching right now. Um, hey, God bless you. That's a- awesome. Amen. Thank you. 
<laughs> so yeah, we're dancing around a little bit because this is going to take some deep learning. This is going to take us going into commentaries. Um, we're going to have to look into it. Why is this here the way that it's laid out? Obviously, I don't think I don't think we're going over next time. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think I think we'll be. Very easily under an hour on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless it depends how many times you want to read the names. But the next episode is going to be an hour's worth of me trying to pronounce. Yes. Any. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, guys, um, I'm not going to apologize because he pulled the page. I just read the thing. You could have started with chapter three. I don't know if it was any better, but it said family instead of genealogy. It's literally not. It's when well, you it's see still... genealogy. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, hey, listen. So the importance of, of random acts of study, the reason why we do this the way that we do it is because we're supposed to be here for a reason. It doesn't always mean that we're going to, you know, bat, what is it? Is batting a hundred great or bad? I don't, I don't support. A thousand. Batting a thousand. Hundreds bad. Yeah, hundred. That's like pitcher bad. So maybe we batted a hundred here. Except but pitchers don't bat anymore. So <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. But anyway, um, there's a reason why we're here. I I, I want. I, 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 I guess to study and see. Yeah, and one of the interesting things here is like we know the genealogies and in, in, uh, or more familiar with them, the ones in Matthew and Luke, Jesus's genealogies. Right. Um, we're familiar with genealogies, or at least I'd say more familiar with genealogies in Genesis. Mm-hmm. You know, leading from Adam to Noah and such. Um, this is one I'm going to honestly say, I know I've read it before because I've read through the Bible, it is but Chronicles. that's about the, that's about as far as in depth I've gotten on these, this passage. So maybe that's why we need to be here. I got you. We're going to, I'm going to do something <laughs> I haven't done before and I'm going to dig deep into the genealogy of David in first Chronicles chapter two. Well, ultimately, yeah. I mean, we understand why the genealogy of David is important because we need to be able to, um, have a a, a a background for where Jesus, but this goes from his sisters and all kind. No, I mean like say a name like Joab that's familiar and all mm-hmm. that. But I mean th- th- this is a, a quite extensive. I mean you you see what it's, it's not just uh, okay. David had a son and then he had a son and he had a son. Yeah, it's pulling some family and different sons and then it's kind of going sideways. Like okay, this is uh, not directly you know from Jesus to David. So. Yeah. And I mean, you we'll got see why. what verse thirty-two: the sons of Jada, uh, uh, the brother of Shemai, were Jether and Jonathan, and Jether died without sons. Oh, look, we picked up another viewer. Oh, uh, okay. So here's the deal, <laughs> fellas. Whoever just joined, I apologize. One, we're over time. Two, he pulled First Chronicles. We're in the second half now, so anyone who wanted to tap out, <laughs> tap out. But and yeah. I don't know where we get this time thing. I never heard it. I never signed up to only be one hour long. So. I know, but that's the reason I'm here. It's only to make sure that the clock does. But anyway, so yeah. But I never saw anything in our stuff saying we can only go an hour. People can pause it and come back later. You that's know? fair. So the the most important takeaway from this is not just all of these names. There's a lot to be had here. It's in the Bible for a reason. We're going to all together find out why it's in the Bible, why it sets in First Chronicles 2, starting with, you know, ultimately 1, but we're here at 9, uh, ending out in verse 55. Yeah, you did the whole chapter. Yeah. The re- hey, I mean, the rest of it, yeah. Hey, you asked me. I, I did it. That third guy left. Oh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> like First Chronicles, not until they get to second. Um, but yeah, it's there for a reason. Let's all figure out why. Yes. And uh, we'll reconvene in a couple weeks here. Uh timing is going to be a little bit weird. We're coming up on a holiday time. Uh, we're coming up on, um, you know, the, the Christmas season. We're coming up on uh, a few birthdays on our end of the things. And uh, 
So ultimately, you know, the next, uh, the next recording may be a little weird uh, timing-wise, but we'll let you know on the Facebook group. And that's a perfect time for yeah, us the to The live say. will be weird, but the, the podcast should still roll out. So Yeah, it should, because we're, we're a little bit behind. I'm a little bit behind in putting out the audio podcast, and I apologize in advance for that. You got two. That, you're doing good. Last time you had none. So you, that's see, true. You, you've done two since the last that one. That's true. So, so not bad. Um, you know, for more content like this, uh, including short-form quick devotionals, and to join our growing community, as we said at the very beginning, you know, we're 999 followers on Facebook. That is incredible. God bless all of you. Uh, share, you know, like, uh, comment, you know, all of that stuff that helps grow this community because we all love the Word of God. If you're here, um, you know, not necessarily loving the Word of God, that's part of the random acts of study. That's why it's important for us to just enter into the text wherever and go. You can have more structured uh, study, you know, in various different ways, but this allows us to unlock the Bible um, in a different type of manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can go on Facebook, Random Acts of Study, uh, Instagram, TikTok, also Random Acts of Study. And again, don't forget, hit the like button, hit the share button. It takes a couple of seconds at most, and it lets... And on Hundreds some of those, thousands the, of people know. Hit the follow button too. Yeah, yeah. Follow button is is great, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you're here, you're probably hitting the follow button. But if you're coming from the audio podcast, um, join in on the community. Mm-hmm. It's growing, and as more and more people join, more and more people will uh, will you know start to to put their input in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think we're we're wrapped up for this episode, guys. Thank till, you. Till next time. Yeah, we will. Uh, We'll see you soon.